Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season, but itch is way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body, but it's teaching us how we sense everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. From CAFE and WNYC Studios, welcome to a special episode of Stay Tuned. I'm Preet Bharara. It's 10 a.m. I'm at NYU Law School. You may hear some noise in the background. I would have done this special episode on Friday, but I was traveling to Chicago. So my first reaction to the Flynn guilty plea was I thought there would be more pages because of all the news swirling around with respect to what Flynn had done with the folks from Russia, some of the allegations that were reported about his interactions with the government of Turkey, his failure to register as a foreign agent, the same kind of thing that Paul Manafort has been charged with. So I I kind of expected, like a lot of other people, and maybe a lot of you, that he would be charged with more things. So there has been a lot of discussion and hypothesizing about what it means that Michael Flynn was charged and pled guilty to a single count of lying to the FBI. So let me say, first off the bat, I think there are basically three options for what Michael Flynn's guilty plea on Friday means. And the first is the one that most people think is true, and I hate to say it for some of you, but I don't know that I fully agree with that. And the first possibility is that Michael Flynn got a sweetheart deal, and even though he only pled guilty to the one crime, Bob Mueller could charge him with a lot more things, including FARA violations, obstruction, and who knows what else. And the reasoning goes, and the speculation goes, he got a pass on all of those other crimes because he has information that is so valuable and he's so willing to be cooperative that the special counsel's office decided to give him that pass. And his information is valuable enough to be used against other people up the food chain, perhaps even against the president of the United States himself. The second possibility is that this is really all the Mueller team has. And there have been some people speculating about that. And he hasn't been able to prove or doesn't find it reasonable, uh, equitable, or just to charge him with anything else. And then the third possibility is that what you see is only the beginning and that Michael Flynn has pled guilty to this one charge, but the Mueller team is either holding back on other charges to which Michael Flynn will plead guilty, if and when they form the basis for charging some other folks. So let me take those three possibilities uh, one at a time. First, the idea that Michael Flynn has gotten the sweetheart deal of a lifetime, I don't know that I believe that. And let me just take a step backwards and explain why I say that. 
In my office, the Southern District of New York, we had a practice and a policy, we thought for good reason, of making sure when we had evidence against somebody and wanted them to flip, we made them plead guilty to every bad act that they had ever done, especially if we were later going to be alleging other people had engaged in that activity as well. And we did that, I think, for a few reasons. One, it seemed like the right thing to do so that the bad conduct of the person you flipped would be laid out before the sentencing judge so that that judge would know the full range of conduct and, you know, impose a sentence appropriately, taking into account, of course, the cooperation and substantial assistance that had been provided to the government. Another reason is strategic or tactical. And that is, if you're going to have a witness who's cooperating with the government, later having to testify about other people's bad conduct that he participated in, you want your witness to have pled guilty to that. Because otherwise, the only thing that the jury will know for a fact about your witness, as is the case with Michael Flynn, is that he is an admitted, convicted liar. And so you're standing in court asking Michael Flynn, hypothetically, to testify against uh, Jared Kushner for crimes that Michael Flynn himself has engaged in. It's the better practice as a matter of trial strategy and trying to get ultimate justice in any case to have your own witness have taken responsibility for the same conduct that you're trying to put someone else in prison for. That is the way it usually operates. That's the way you usually get the conviction. That's the way I think ultimately justice is done. I want to qualify that by saying that not every prosecutor's office functions that way. And there are times, I suppose, when someone has such extraordinary information that I suppose, hypothetically, you would give that kind of deal. I'm not sure that's a smart idea. I'm not sure that's a fair idea. And that's why I, I tend not to think it's the case that they just wiped the slate clean with Michael Flynn. And they thought that he was guilty of all these other things, but are giving him a complete pass on it. I just don't buy it. I think that the Mueller team operates more in the tradition of, of the classical way that I described. So that leads to the second option, the second theory. You might be surprised to hear me say, there's a decent reason for thinking that that's all that Mueller has at this point, by nature of eliminating option one. If you're proceeding against somebody, even if you're proceeding quickly, you, you kind of usually want to do all of it at once. And so if they had this other evidence against Michael Flynn, you would expect it to be in the paperwork that we saw on Friday. And so even though lots and lots of people, because they don't like Donald Trump or for other reasons, are hyperventilating about the possibility of Michael Flynn being chargeable with all sorts of other crimes, remember, neither you nor I have investigated the case, neither you nor I have interviewed the witnesses, neither you nor I have looked at all the precedents of all the statutes. And it may be that the Mueller team has looked at all of those things and decided, you know what, this is what we have right now. We want to make sure that Michael Flynn takes responsibility for the one clear crime that we can prove and to which he's prepared to plead guilty in exchange for his cooperation and testimony on other matters. And that might be it. So people need to really consider the possibility that this might be it. But there is a third possibility. And in a small informal survey of very smart people that I spoke to over the weekend who used to be in this business also, is an option that some people favor. And that is, it is not the case, option one, that Michael Flynn has gotten the sweetheart deal of a lifetime. It's not the case, option two, that the Mueller team has hit a dead end and is, and is not able to charge him with anything else. But the third option is 
It may be the case that Michael Flynn understands that for now, he was expected to plead guilty to the most easily provable serious charge, which is 18 U.S.C. 1001 violation, lying to the FBI. And as the team begins to uncover evidence and build a case against other people, whether that's Jared Kushner or the President of the United States himself or other folks, they may be reluctant to have Michael Flynn at this point in time plead guilty in a way that suggests the guilt of other people because it's premature, because they're not yet ready to pull the trigger, because it's not yet clear that they will ever be in a position to charge those other people. Now, ordinarily, in cases that I oversaw, particularly in public corruption, and you were concerned about this public taint that would come to pass against these other people prematurely, what you do is you have the person plead guilty under seal. Now, I'm not sure why that didn't happen in the Michael Flynn case. Maybe uh, just to continue the hypothetical (laughs) stringing along of this idea that they thought it would get out because there are leaks uh, and it's hard to tamp down on all information coming out of this. And rather than do that, they're taking it one step at a time. And so although I don't recall too many cases where you had phases of guilty plea on the part of a cooperating witness, because of the unique nature of the circumstances here and the tremendous amount of collateral damage that could occur with respect to other people, that's a possibility. So as I see it, those are the three options. And everyone that I know who's really smart, who actually was in the business of doing this work, doesn't think it's option one either. Meanwhile, everyone I see on TV seems to think it's option one. I could be wrong, but but I really don't see option one. I don't want to go too long, so just a couple more quick points, and then I'll see you guys on Thursday. Point one, the Logan Act. You've been hearing a lot about the Logan Act, and a lot of people are hopeful that there could be a charge under the Logan Act. What is the Logan Act? As I'm sure you've heard by now, it's a 1799 statute that essentially bars private citizens from interfering with diplomatic relations between the U.S. and foreign governments. And there has been some discussion on whether, about whether or not Michael Flynn engaged in a violation of the Logan Act. A couple of things to remember about the Logan Act are these. One, the Logan Act has never successfully been prosecuted, even though it's been on the books since the 18th century. Two, it's kind of an odd statute. And there are a lot of folks who think it's sort of unusual to have this kind of a broad ban. The, the main criticisms of the Logan Act are, first, people have raised an objection to prosecutions under the Logan Act based on a First Amendment theory that you should be able to say what you want to say. I, I find that, that objection not that persuasive. Second, people have said in academia and other circles that maybe the act couldn't be enforced because it hasn't been used in a long time under some doctrine, an obscure doctrine. I don't think that's you know, a great objection either. My fundamental objection to the idea of a Logan Act prosecution of Jared Kushner or any other person in the Trump orbit is that, you know, the whole world is watching. If you're going to bring a charge of that seriousness against members of the White House or the president himself, I think you want to rely on a statute that has been proven, that has been tested, whose parameters are clear, that the courts have entertained and written about, and you have precedents to point to, It seems odd, unless you have really, really, really clear, overwhelming facts, to hang your hat on something like the Logan Act. I know there's a lot of talk out there that this is, you know, a clear violation. I don't know how people are saying that 
in the way they're saying it, because you have a bunch of words on a piece of paper and you don't have a history of prosecution under the Logan Act. So when people are saying it's a clear violation, they're speaking based on, I think a little bit, a hopefulness that is not borne out by the history of the act. Next point, we'll probably get into more of this on Thursday. But while I have you here listening, over the weekend, the president said a lot of terrible things about the FBI. I don't really get it. The president bashes his own FBI. He bashes his own intelligence agencies. He, on the other hand, he embraces and praises to high heaven authoritarians like Vladimir Putin, Duterte of the Philippines, and Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, And I just want to say, as I said on Twitter this weekend, nobody's perfect, no institution is perfect, but the men and women of the FBI are among the best people I know. They care about the country, they care about public safety, and they, unlike most people who are bashing them, including the President of the United States, put their lives in the line every day in this country and around the world to keep us safe. I think they should get our thanks, not mockery from the President of the United States. Last point before I get out of here, I think just yesterday or earlier this morning, one of the president's lawyers, John Dowd, with whom I have some familiarity, is taking the position that the president of the United States, based on his position alone, cannot, as a legal matter, obstruct justice. So I have a strong reaction to that. One, I think that's nonsense. Two, I think it's telling that Mr. Dowd is no longer saying the president didn't do these things. He's saying even if he did, it can't be obstruction. This comes on the heels, of course, of the controversy over Donald Trump's tweet over the weekend where he said he fired Michael Flynn because he lied to the vice president and also because he lied to the FBI. I don't want to get into all of this now, but John Dowd now all of a sudden appears out of the blue and says he drafted that tweet. You know, defense lawyers, they're doing a job because they have to defend their client. When you have a high profile client, you defend them not only in court, but before that. You make arguments to the press and to the media and in the papers and on television, and John Dowd is doing that. Um, I had experience with John Dowd when he represented an individual named Raj Rajaratnam who was convicted on all counts. And during the course of that trial and after that trial, John Dowd said a lot of, how shall I put it, ludicrous, silly things. So that's par for the course for him. And I wouldn't put too much stock in what a defense lawyer says on behalf of his client, particularly one who has said the kinds of things that John Dowd has said before. That's all I got for now. I got to run. We'll have a full episode with an interview for you on Thursday. God knows how many things, ludicrous and otherwise, are going to happen between now and then. Stay tuned.